and welcome to the latest edition of the Progress with Unity podcast. What a week it has been once again in the life of a Wigan Athletic fan. First of all, let me welcome the panel. Barry, how are you doing? Yeah, fine. Fine, Simon. Thank you. Yourself? Good. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Paul, how are you? Yeah, not too bad myself. Adam, how, how are you doing? Yeah, fine. And uh, our special guest tonight, making a, a return after uh, a period out due to other commitments. Uh, Nick Taylor. Nick, how are you doing? I'm good, Simon. I was looking forward to uh, talking about football after you asked me to come on at the weekend, but um last couple of days, of, uh, I think the talk's going to be on something else. Well, that's it. That's it. Things have changed. Um, and I suppose it's... it's I'm, I'm enjoying being able to um, ask you the questions because the last couple of times we've spoken, uh, it's been the other way around, hasn't it, for the Latix official podcast so uh, I'll try and grill you uh, like you do me so uh, but yes should we talk football to begin with um, because it was a good game on Saturday at, uh, at Rochdale and I think in everyone's opinion it's a game that we should have had uh, sewn up three all 95th minute equaliser once again pretty even game um, percentage wise on the possession uh, shots again 15 for them, 18 for us, getting plenty, plenty of shots in. We always thought it was going to be a high-scoring game due to Rochdale's uh, current score lines and their current form. The, frust- the frustrating thing for me, and I- that's what I'll start with, is they're down to 10 men after, what was it, it's about 23 minutes, yet we-, we couldn't see the game away. Nick, I'm going to come to you first. What, what was your, I know you was there in a- an official capacity um, on Saturday, what was your take as a as a fan from Saturday's game? Yeah, I was there. Um, I was helping Ash out. He he had um, some trouble with the uh, the old track and trace, so he, he had to isolate for a bit. So um, <laughs> from it, well, we always looked like we were going to score. We we constantly looked like we were going to score. Whatever whatever it is, and I think it's we've created a balance in midfield and attack that has just given us this opportunity to score goals. Obviously, the last two games, they're the proof of the pudding. Burton Albion, I mean, we could have scored about 10 and probably probably could have scored that many against Rochdale. Um, and I think Liam said it after the game that we didn't necessarily look threatened by them, but we still managed to concede three goals. And obviously, when you look at the goals, there's reasons why we've conceded them. But um, I think we should be very enthused about the fact that we have got so many players who look like they're going to score for us. That's it. And obviously, goal, goals win your matches, don't they, at the end of the day. So it is good that we're going forward and scoring. I think the, the biggest worry at the moment, Barry, is the um, the defensive frailties, isn't it? Obviously, we brought in um, Dariqua from Nottingham Forest, who looked very, very good going forward. Uh, but we ended up having to patch up our defence uh, how much of a worry is that for you? Uh, and we'll, we'll include the goalkeeper in there as well, because obviously there was a mistake from Owen Evans. Yeah, I just thought there was a bit of bit of naivety, a bit of an experience, really. Adam Long and Owen Evans. I won't point the finger of blame at either of those um, due, due to the you know the lack of experience. But it is a worry. I think your most important positions are your goalkeeper. Your centre backs, your centre mid, and your centre forward. I mean, that's the spine of the team, and with a distinct lack of experience, and especially with Tom James moving on as well, you know that's going to leave us really short. Uh, obviously, we've lost Curtis Tilt, gone back to Rotherham, who's tweeted a uh, quite a cryptic tweet, shall we say, this this week, and you wonder if there's a possibility of him of him coming back. I'm not so sure, but it, it is a concern. It, I think if we got that sorted, the centre backs. There'd be no problem in this this team, you know, climbing the table and pulling out that relegation zone. And I'd be very happy with, with what we've got. Yeah, I would agree with you there as well um, on that. Adam, is there anything you'd like to add to what Nick and uh, Barry have said? Because obviously we're, we're good going forward. Those frailties at the back. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Yeah, I just thought the uh, we, we discussed it last week, didn't we? The potential of playing those three forwards and... You know, in advance, we thought that would be quite an exciting front line. And I think they work very well together. Um, obviously, I think Keane's getting better with as he gets fitter. Um, very experienced player now. And, you know, bringing players into the game and his touch was really good. I mean, that goal was, um, 
So I, I don't think I'd have liked it to be against us because he was doing kick-ups in the box and then turned and put it in the top corner, but it was nice. But I like the fact we got three strikers goals and they're all different, weren't they? There was one, Joseph with his Kiefer Moore flick. And then, um, you know, Lang, uh, lovely lovely finish after a you know a nice pass and a great turn. Um, and then obviously the King goal that I've just mentioned. So I think, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, but... Aside with those three players in up front, will not go down. You know, I know we will get defenders in. They might not necessarily be as you know as, as solid as tilt, but you know we will get we will get one or two players in. I'm sure. And um, going, I think we for us at the moment, attack is the best form of defence. I think we did it at Burton, didn't we? Scored four, they scored three, and we nearly did it again on on Saturday if we'd have scored that one just before they. Just before they scored that breakaway goal, we didn't quite get it right. You know, we're coming out of that four-two. You know, and we would have deserved it as well. So, yeah, I'm yeah. happy, and I'm enjoying watching us as well. I'm enjoying watching us play at the moment. It's uh, it's exciting football. Yeah, um, Paul, how how frustrating is not getting the three points against a team that you know, ultimately are in and around us? And I think Barry tweeted a picture uh, during the first half when we were uh, ahead. How you know, we'd actually pulled away slightly from that relegation zone. What, what's your, what's your, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, you've they've played half with ten men. You've been in front twice. You're, you know, you're in front at that point. You've been in front again. So once they equalise for two-two, you, you've got yourself out of jail, uh, only to put yourself back in jail in the in the in the day minutes. So yeah, it is frustrating, but it's entertaining, isn't it? I suppose. Um, we could do with some points, but uh, like you say, if you feel like you're going to score and you can win games, you only need to do a little bit of shoring up at the back and then suddenly you start flying up the table. At that end of the table, a couple of wins makes a big difference and it's easy to get them. If, you know, when you don't look like you're ever going to score, that's when you've got a real problem because at best then yeah. you're going you're gonna to get nil-nils, aren't you? I think when I think when Barry tweeted the picture, we were only twelve points off the uh, off the playoffs. So the, the dream was on. Yeah, um, he's getting a bit giddy. <laughs> Nick, I want to I want to come back to you, Nick, because obviously you've um, recently left um, the Latics uh, to a to a lot of uh, support and a lot of well wishes on uh, on social media as well. Yeah. No, the amount of stick that you get be behind the Latics official accounts as well. It was nice to see that people were actually sad to sad to see you go. Obviously, with what everything that's going on at the club, what's what's the morale like on a match day and and with around the group of players? Because obviously, we see it and they seem positive and they're in it together. Um, but what what's it really like uh, working with the squad? I know it's a bit different at the minute because you're not probably in their hands on like you would have been in the in the past due to COVID and everything. But what what are things like at the moment? No, that, I think I think what you feel like you're seeing it is genuine. Um, you know, I left two and a half weeks ago, came back on the weekend and and everyone was taking the mick when I was there. So I thought, you know what, the spirits must be good because they're in a good they're in a good mood. You know, I, I think a lot should be said for just how well they have kept the spirits up. And I think that goes to goes for support staff as well, staff who I worked with more on a daily basis um it could it is very easy to just down tools and feel sorry for yourself but so many people playing staff coaching staff and administrative staff have worked so hard and not just from july but from march as well um since we went into lockdown and you have you people have the moans and groans and people will have you know, they probably argue with each other, but at the end of the day, people have just gone with things. And that's why, minus the top level business stuff, everything has generally gone well or as expected. Obviously, on the pitch, the difficulties are because the squad isn't what you'd quite like it to be. So there's always going to be, you know, games that you're going to lose or draw or... But, but generally speaking, everybody's pretty positive it's easy. That's easy for me to say now because I'm not there. But when I was there, everyone was pretty positive. Like I say, you you have a moan to each other, but the next minute you're just getting on with it. And 
there's there's nothing else you can do because it's completely out of your hands. There'll be people who probably say, you know, you're in the building, hold people to account and stuff like that, but that's not the best use of people's time. The best use of people's time is to keep doing the daily functions that keep a football club moving. Players as well, keep just keep doing what you can to get the best results. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to be here after this process has ended. That yeah. includes supporters. So you've got to keep doing what what you do, what you normally do, and and more. I suppose you, you need to do even more because these are the hardest times we've, we've probably ever faced. Absolutely, and I think from from your point of view, you know, obviously we've spoken before. You're, you're Latics through and through. You're Latics fan first and foremost. If if we keep this squad together, maybe make some additions you know, in the defensive uh, area. Do, do you realistically think that we can we can stay up if we can, you know, keep the nucleus of this team together? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We we need some we need some organization in defence. I think that's obvious. Well we need some defenders because we just apart from Adam, uh, Adam Long and Amika Obi, we haven't got any centre backs unless you you're dipping into the under 18s because even even Jack Sanders is out alone at file. So we are desperately low on. I mean, at the end of that game, we had four fullbacks playing across the back four. Yeah. And <laughs> Luke Robinson came on, didn't he? And who did it? He did his job, and you can see why he came on. He's got bags of energy and pace, and, and you know you need that sort of player in there. But you, you can't play four fullbacks across a back four for more than one game, really. You should, you should have to do it for no for one game. I, I think I think a lot. The good thing is with a lot of these youngsters is that they want to play for Wigan Athletic. I've done some work with them in the past and, you know, they, they love playing for the Latics, they love playing for the coaches and everything like that. So having Gregor still there and obviously Liam, um, those guys, are they're pulling on the shirt and wanting to do a job because they, you know, I suppose we've got, they're grateful for what they've had in the, in the past as well. Barry? Yeah, Nick, I just wonder if it's a case of uh, let them gel. Latics gel and they can go anywhere. It is. It definitely is. Don't don't sell nobody either. Not anymore, anyway. <laughs> We're not going to have anyone left to sell soon. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's frustrating, but you know, obviously, there's going to be links with Joseph because he's doing well at the moment and and things like that. But I think if anyone's listening from other clubs, if you're using us as a benchmark for good players, there's there's no one really. I think we let let our best players uh, go already. So uh, yeah, you don't want anyone else from us. Uh, Adam, do you want to add your two penneth? Yeah, it was just after what Nick said. It just reminded me of something actually. Going back to the game that I was going to say, I was very surprised when that substitution was made and Orby didn't come on because obviously he's got more experience than Robinson and he is the he is the centre back. So I thought that was that was a. A strange choice, but he did a good job when he when he came on. But I would never have seen him as a as a centre back uh, previously. Robinson, from what I've seen, sort of in the um, you know in the under eighteen side. So I thought that was a interesting um, substitution. But may, maybe obviously Orby might not be fully fit. Who knows? I think what you got to consider there is we needed a left footed player to come on in defence. Because it was a pressure point of the game, and if you're trying to restructure your defence with two right-footed players, and and there the was pressure on us at, at that moment, it, there is a lot to be said for having a left-footed defender at left centre half and a right. I know it sounds obvious, but there's a lot to be said for it, especially when you've got players who are inexperienced and might need to shift the ball quickly, might need to get rid of the ball quickly if they've not got that game experience that players like Curtis Tilt would have, or even Nathan Cameron earlier in the season, if they'd have had to play out slightly out of position, they're better equipped to deal with it. So I think I think that's probably what you'd take away from that. I think uh, I would uh, doff my cap to uh, Barry there because that was his uh, analysis of the substitution on Saturday as well. So uh, maybe he could join the uh, the management team at the Latics. I'm sure he'd work for free. Um, and... and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. How close were you to uh, being asked to dig your boots out and get a game on Saturday? Obviously, we're down to four players on the bench, and that's obviously d- due to illnesses um, and not registering players because 
obviously you can only have a 23 man squad, can't we? So it was, um, we, un- we understand why, but uh, it must be quite worrying sat the way it was for us, sat there and no goalkeeper on the bench. It's easier for me to say because when you, when you know sit- the situations, and I don't mean like knowing information that nobody else knows, but you could understand straight away. And as soon as obviously Paul Kendrick put out what he put out, you can understand why those decisions are made straight away. Because if you, you'd be hamstrung if you can't register any more players when you know you need certain positions to come in. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know what the decision is with goalkeepers. And I don't know whether there's a different rule for if a goalkeeper's on the bench, he's immediately registered. I'm, I'm not sure what that is because my understanding of it was you have to have actually played minutes, not just been involved in a squad. So I can't really decipher why that was made. But <laughs> the funny thing was um, Joe Huxley, who, who does all, a lot of the artwork and has done a lot of the artwork in, for us in the past, he tweeted that... Uh, the graphic designer had forgot to fill the substitutes in, um, but I bit my tongue. I was gonna, I was gonna reply to him, but I bit my tongue at the time. I thought you cheeky stuff. Oh, brilliant! Well, it, it it was a it was a good result. If it had been, I think if it had been eleven against eleven, you'd take that, wouldn't you? A point away at Rochdale, but maybe it, it should have been more. Anybody got anything else you'd like to add to the uh, the game at Rochdale before we move on? Because we have got quite a bit to go through tonight. To be fair, um, I just want to. Um, extend well wishes from everyone at the podcast to uh, Andy Little, um, who's, um, I'm going to say the proud owner, but uh, they've had a, a new child brought in to the Little family. So it's uh, uh, congratulations to all um, of Andy Little's family. Uh, great having him on not so long back on the podcast. It was really good to to have a chat with him. Um, I think you enjoyed that one, Nick, didn't you? I think we got a, a bit of positive uh feedback from yourself rather than a strongly worded email that we've had in the past. Anyone on like that, any of my childhood heroes, I'll enjoy that. You've got Barry on every week, so oh, I definitely enjoy that. Oh, yeah. We, how much have you paid him, Barry? Can't tell you. Can't tell. Did he have breakout rooms on here? Because I was going to say, get a room, you two. <laughs> right then, so we um, the Rochdale game put to bed. We've got another game coming up against Fleetwood and it feels like we're playing Fleetwood every week and I know it's not the case but it's just one of those games that feel that they've not gone away from us this season and Barry let's start off with who's in charge well uh, I'd like to give the identity of the referee it's a born identity Declan Bourne from Nottinghamshire he's refereed 16 games this season 49 yellows and no reds it's his first season refereeing so he's another brand new ref he's not ref either ourselves, nor Fleetwood previously, although he did run the line at the DW because he was a, an assistant referee for uh, a couple of years. Halloween 2015, and the idea we played that day, Adam, Nick? Swindon? Yes, it was. Wasn't that the Vigaroo game where he was wasting uh, time from the, from the first minute? We, and we actually beat them 1 0 for the late goal. And he. No, he he was on the line. I thought it was 5-0. I thought, oh no, that's Colchester. Yeah, no, Adam, Adam, you had your opportunity. You've messed it up. Nick steps in. Uh, next week, you're going to be uh, on the bench. Else, and Nick is going to be sat there in that chair. Genius for the winner. <laughs> He's now the instant stat man. Anyway, that's that's Declan Bourne, the referee for Saturday's game against Fleetwood. Right then, uh, Adam, I know you had a bit of trouble finding someone for Adam Asks this week, but we, nevertheless, you, you got there, didn't you? So, uh, over to yourself. Actually, the, uh, the, the Fleetwood fan bottled it. He, he realised there was a major celebrity on the podcast tonight and he's actually bottled it. So, uh, instead, you've got me. The the, the thing what I'm going to say about Fleet, Fleetwood Town is that um, we last played them not very long ago. Can anyone remember that game? Yes, December 15th, one apiece. Last minute goal, yeah. Ollie Crankshaw. Came on as a sub, diving header. Crunkshank. Crankshaw. The one thing I wanted to say, which is probably links back to the previous time we played them at the start of the season, is that the uh, the guy who turned the game, obviously, who came on as a substitute, has now left, left the club. Um, 
because Joey Barton citing that uh, he, he never wanted Chet Evans to play for Fleetwood Town again, which coming from Joey Barton was quite interesting, really. So, <laughs> um, yeah, they're a bit of an odd side, aren't they? they, they they're in the middle of the table. They're very much Jekyll and Hyde sides, but going back to uh, our performance in December, I thought it was a pretty pretty even game, really, wasn't it? And, you know, I think we deserved, deserved that that equaliser. I'm surprised they're not doing better because they've got a very experienced uh, squad, but they just clearly haven't quite gelled yet. You know, they've not let them gel. So uh, I think it's there for the taking again. I, I um, what One thing I do hope is that we've got Ash back in the commentary box with Tommy because, you know, as I was saying there, Gwen Crankshaw scored. I think, was it, um, was it Radio Manchester we had or was it Radio Lancashire, one of the commentators... Really like yeah, he didn't, yeah, he didn't know the Latics players, and it it was it was tough listening. It was almost better to listen, well, to have no commentary apart from Tommy just coming in with the uh, expert analysis. It what was, about uh, players that left? Though, yeah, it was, Tom Jones has left, hasn't he? Yeah. Tom <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, it was slightly humorous, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have. Uh, a familiar voice, I hope. Anyway, um, back in the back in the uh, commentary box. Previously, we've played Fleetwood only six times. We've won four times, drawn one, and lost once. Obviously, last game was in December, as we've uh, spoken about. Nick, I'm going to come to you first. Seeing as you're the guest, and um, how do you see Saturday going? Can you can you uh, see us kicking on? I can. I'm, I hope it's not like the last time we played them, because the last time we played them. I, th- I was watching it thinking these these are built up to be a little bit better than they actually were on that day. I mean, they have to, they've got, you know, they've had some great results during the season, but we were just sort of, we were just getting on with it and we never looked threatened in that game. And then all of a sudden he hits it from 30 yards and it's, he's in and the whole game's flipped on its head. But then we had 45 minutes in the second half where they are the guy with their half. I don't know whether that was a ploy to just soak up some pressure. It didn't work because we scored in the end, but um, I think it'd be a lot different to that game. Um, the weather conditions might play a part because it's been hammering it down and it doesn't look like it's going to stop. So, you know, we might not see the football that we maybe saw at, at Rochdale and at, at Burton Albion. But um, I think going back to what I said before, the fact that we can score goals and, and having Cal- someone like Callum Lang back in the team it adds an extra dimension to that that front three, and he yeah. can very easily make it into a midfield four because of the way that he plays. I think the biggest compliment I can give to him is he's a pain in the arse. Defenders yeah. won't want to play against a player like that because you don't you don't know what he's going to do. He's he's st- he's got he's gathered some experience from his loans, but he's still so raw in the way that he plays that you don't actually know what he's going to do. So. I think with players like that in your team, you're always, no matter where you're playing, you're always going to score goals. So I don't know if we can bring a defender in before, even if it's just one, if we can bring a a centre back in before the game, then, you know, it'll help to shore things up. But it it could be anything again. I mean, we've had 4-3 and 3-3 recently and it could carry on the same theme for a little bit longer until we do get some sort of structure at the back. So go on, let's push you for, push you for a score prediction. Uh, <laughs> I've said that, I'll go 3-2 to us. I score in 3-2. I'll take that. Paul? Um, I'll keep it short and sweet because of all the other stuff we've got and I'll go with 2-1 to us. Adam, I'll come to you because hopefully you might keep it short and sweet for once. Yeah, goals in this game. But I think we'll get the majority of them. I'm going for a 4-1 win. And Barry, what's what's man your score going to be on Saturday? Uh, can you tell me your half time as well? <laughs> no, I can't. You'll you'll just have to wait for that one. Um, I know what you're after doing. I, I yeah, I can see us uh, carrying on a good vein of form, like Nick says. I think there'll be goals, so I'm going to go for a oh, so difficult, isn't it, because of the defence? Four-two uh, to the Latics. 4-2, right. Um, I'll, I'll check that on Saturday morning when you do your score predictions. Make sure that's uh, still in there. Um, right, I'm not going to commit to anything because I'd, I'd never get it right. Let's let's um, turn our attentions to 
what probably everyone's tuned in for this week. Sorry, Nick, but uh, the the uh, the administration um, process, everything that's been going on at the club, because there's been some developments this week. Three real talking points that I think we're going to cover, and then Barry, I'm going to come straight into you first. The Tony Frampton bid has been pulled. There was the emergence of Darren Royal UTT 2021 on Company's House. And then today, Wednesday, uh, the day of recording, Paul Stanley spoke to Simon Jordan and Jim White on Talk Sport. Barry, should we start with the uh, the Frampton bid? Uh, yeah, we can do, can't we? Um, I, I suppose it depends who you listen to with uh, what, what's going on there. Start with Tony Frampton. He's claiming that there was uh, obstacles put in the way and, and the goalposts were constantly moving. Progress was blocked. Uh, and they, they, they just couldn't agree. They couldn't agree to move forward. So they got fed up in the end and, and pulled. Uh, if you listen to the other side of the story, that things weren't all they seemed from Tony Frampton's uh, and Alistair Jeffries' bid. And the admins were concerned about the proof of funds. And that's why they were dragging their feet. I suppose we'll never know 100% which way it is uh, because they're all subject to NDA. So, but uh, as it stands, uh, Alistair Jeffries, Tony Frampton, no longer in the running to be owners of Wigan Athletic. And uh, we move on. Nick, I'll, I'll come to you next. What, what do you make of the Frampton bid to begin with, but also now it's it, it not happening? I think... I think- from my point of view, I never really read into any of the bids when when I was employed by the club. But now I, I do a little bit more. I didn't then because you don't really have the time in the day to consume it all. There's so much information out there. But I, th- I think the one thing I'd say for that is there's information that comes from some relatively trusted sources or straight from people who've spoken to these people, which to me suggests there's a bit of truth on both sides, you know, saying that that stumbling blocks were put up by the administrators. They probably were put up by the administrators, but they were probably put up for reasons, not just because they didn't like the person who was talking to them. Do you know what I mean? It's people have had their own things to say about every part of the, the process. But the one thing I would say is it's not being done to, stop Wigan Athletic existing or anything like that. There's no, I wouldn't say there's anything malicious in it. It's just there are often reasons why from one side or the other, bidders could pull out because they don't like a certain part of the process that they've got to go through or the administrators could block something because they don't think that that's going to work. I know it's sitting on the fence a little bit, but I'm just trying to add some some sort of balance to, I see a lot of things that are just either one side or the other, but there is, and there needs to be a little bit more balance with how you assess it. Because if, if something doesn't seem right, generally speaking, it isn't. So, and there's a lot about that bid and a lot of the things that were said and the the stuff that I've listened to that you just think you're living in a dream world. Yeah. And, I suppose, you know, it is, like you say, about those credible sources as well, because there is a lot of information banded around through um, different channels. It's it's difficult, isn't it, Adam, to try and grasp what's fact, what's fiction and and, and what's actually gone on. But what can, what can you take away from it, Adam? Because you're, obviously, with your field of expertise, what can you, what can you take away from things? Well, it... I don't think it's got that far, really, to the regulatory issue. It doesn't appear that it's got anywhere near the EFL. One one thing that struck me, and what based on what Nick's just said there, and saying there's a little bit of truth in both sides, is you know we we tend to be dealing with. It's clear that two of the administrators have got big egos. They like to say their own voices, um. And the type of people that they're dealing with, the Frampton and his consortium, are probably very similar. Um, it's almost like they're both in their own corners, and you just wonder sometimes where 
you know, if it was an actual dispute in a settlement in a, in a legal sense, you'd probably get a mediator in and, you know, you get, see, is there any common ground? Can, can you meet in the middle? But for me, the Framptons, Frampton versus Stanley and Krasner, mainly Stanley, um, I think they're a long way apart and I don't think anything was necessarily sort of bringing them together really. So I don't really want to say a blame game as such. I just think that maybe they both had their own views on, on things and they just ultimately couldn't back down from what, what their positions were. And obviously the Frampton position is clearly based on what the backers position was and, you know, multi-billionaires tend to have their own views on things. You know, we we had a multi-millionaire who was very dogmatic in his views uh, about things back in the day. So that, that's the difficulty, really. Maybe you need people who are a little bit more pragmatic. So hopefully the the new potential bidders who are in, um, the Darren Royals, who's already been involved previously, maybe comes with a bit more pragmatism about it rather than all these sort of, if you like, extravagant promises. I don't know what people think about that, but for me, it seems like big egos and nobody was prepared to back down. Paul? Yeah, I mean, Adam's just made the point there of extravagant promises. Um, there were extravagant promises made um, in, in the initial sort of let me get involved in this process pitches from Tony Frampton um, at the point where he, he wasn't able to. We've now gone past the point where he is able to and the talks have broken down and we're now in a PR battle between the administrators and Tony Frampton as to whose fault it is. And we've just got to try and pick that apart. And, and make your own mind up based on on what you know. I'd just like to jump in there and, and say one of, one of the really frustrating things for me, and I suppose for a lot of supporters, is is when you look at this. It's uh, there's a lot of chat about businesses and NDAs, and and it's so black and white or or multifaceted, really. It's not black and white. It's multifaceted. But the biggest stakeholders. In this, without any shadow of a doubt, are the ones that are in the dark, and that's the supporters. They're the ones with no influence, we're the ones who get to know nothing, and we're the biggest stakeholders. And, and you can understand why passions run so high on social media, why people get so frustrated. And when you think of how long this process has been going on now, I think with an athletic supporters have been magnificent with the behaviour. And me and Simon were chatting earlier today and we said it's a good job that ground weren't open because can you imagine if fans were alluding those to the games with this going on and with some of the stuff that's been coming out. And whatever happens at the end of this, I hope the EFL and the powers that be look into this process a little bit and maybe consider more however they can do it, but to, to let the major stakeholders, the supporters, have some understanding of the process at least. And, you know, I've, I've, I've just just be, to be informed because it's so frustrating. Well, I, the, the way I thought you were going there was when you say about um, we've got a football club which a company of administrators recommended to the owner to put it into administration and they're now making an absolute fortune from running that administration and the owner it apparently was a bit skint and has walked away from 25 million quid. You are absolutely right. The, fr the fans <laughs> deserve to be frustrated off the back of that uh, and <laughs> I dread to think what sort of atmospheres would be in that ground if we were actually there at games because there would be so, there would be some horrible atmosphere it'd be pre-kickoff I think I think the team the players every respect for but the administration process I think there's some big questions to be asked there yeah Alan Nixon tweeted something today about that and said that's for the post-mortem but surely the post-mortem's too late that's when we're dead it needs to happen before yeah. and there must be some government bodies who can look into this. And what you're saying, though, Paul, about 
about the right, the very start of the process um, doesn't add up. The fact he's prepared to walk away from 40 million quid doesn't add up. Doesn't add up, no. Nothing adds up. Nothing adds up. No. So, you know, they've got to, these administrators have got to accept the frustration and the anger because it's there and it's there for a reason. I mean, if it did add up, we'd understand it, but it bloody doesn't. You know, there's, there's nothing, defi- nothing definitely something not right there. Definitely something not right. I mean, there's, there's a difference. I mean, at the moment, the job the administrators are doing, they've been appointed by the, the court um, and they do what they do. And we don't like it, but actually they're doing the jobs. To, we, 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 we can be, reasonably accept it. They're in the first place. That's the, que- that's the big Well, they question. shouldn't. That's the it's bit that's hard to accept. That, that shouldn't. The biggest and they were there on their own, their advice. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's clearly going back to the process of getting put into administration is the frustration. And that that probably exasperates the problems that we've got with the administrators in the first place because, you know, no matter what anybody says, go back to the, read the written reasons. It's an open document. It's a, you know, look at the written reasons and look what the panel said about uh, the approaches that were made to the administrators before being put into administration about the options that were available. You know, this... This should not be regulated internally. It needs an external regulatory body to look at football finance, regulating administration. And the government, again, I mean, there was all that hype four or five months ago, you know, the debates in Parliament. We've had the Berry report and everything like that, but nothing's changing again. You know, nothing's really changing. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably get through this. I'm confident that we will get get through this and survive. But just round the corner, there'll be another club who'll go the same way. And, you know, for me, I, I think that football's so important to the nation and to the economy, by the way, puts a lot of money into the economy that I think the government need to, um, you know, in, involve themselves more. And I'm not saying necessarily have a government body, but at least have a, something similar maybe to press regulation, somebody somebody that's in there that could at least look at the finances of football and regulate. Because as we all know, football clubs are all judges in their own causes. There's no way in the world, I've said this many a time, there's no way in the world that football clubs in the EFL are going to vote to tighten up the rules on football ownership because they're all thinking, if I want to get out, I don't want a regulatory framework that's going to make it difficult for me to get out. So it needs to be taken out of the hands of the club. It's a long process, but that that to me is the way that we that we have to go. And then all the other stuff like administration, football administration could also be looked at as well because everything about administration at the moment, the fans, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Wherever the money's coming from to pay these administrators' fees, it still leaves a bad taste in the mouth when you see the amount of money going out of the game and not into a football club that's really struggling. Nick, is there anything you'd like to add on that what's, with what's been said? Yeah, I think I think the point about looking into the way that football administration process works is, is probably the big thing that I'd take from that because obviously I've seen for months the things that different sets of fans have been doing to try and get answers and try and hold people to account and nothing because of the situation we're in with COVID, nothing seems to work because it's hard to get that voice really heard and, and especially in person. Um, I think the one thing that's that's not out the process is we get bits and bobs of sound bites from different people involved in the process from the administrator's side. And perhaps it's, you know, I've seen a lot of mudslinging. Perhaps just assess the situation and say, exactly what you can say what you legally can say just if something's broken down tell people why it's broken down because if, if they're not involved in the process anymore because the, the bid is pulled out or you've told them they can't be surely you should be able to put people's minds at ease and and help your own cause as well because if you keep saying we've got we've got five interested parties or whatever the figure is this week and then suddenly you're saying two of them have pulled out well nobody knows why so you know that's when you're gonna you're causing a stir everybody's emotional 
and, and highly charged as it is, and, and we don't need then, you know, people making it even worse by by miscommunication or lack of communication. Um, I mean, that's easy for me to say because I don't have to communicate for them, but um, I certainly wouldn't have done it in the way that it, it's been done because what's the point going on the radio and, and slagging off a couple of people that then gets interpreted to be slagging off 10,000 people, um, which we saw recently, so... Well, that's you know that's a, a very interesting point, and it, it's probably one that we'll I'll come to next. And Barry, I'm going to come to you in a second. Um, the Talk Sports interview uh, with Jim White, Simon Jordan, and Paul Stanley that aired on Wednesday today, day of recording. Um, some comments made, wasn't there, Barry? That you know Nick just alluded to, which were aimed at obviously some people, but have offended the masses and I think you know in many respects quite quite rightly so and do you, do you want to go into that? There was a couple that really jumped out I mean one thing he said was he'd not had a holiday since the 1st of July well you know who has you know I've not had a holiday since since 2019 you know so just that I thought that was a stupid comment and then uh, opinions from people who aren't that educated what on earth does that mean? You know, who's, who's that directed at? Is that a directed at supporters who have been critical of them? I know he's not there to win a popularity contest, but surely they should have some, you know, rapport with, with the supporters if, if they are. I, I can't believe that they put statements out in text on the website because you can read into a text any emotion that you want. Why not video? Do a video one where they stood stand in front of a, a camera and speak it. Like, like Nick says, and, and tell us about the process. At least you see the face, you see the words come out of the mouth. They, somebody could be stood there with a big card while they read it. They don't have to be proficient in, in you know, in media studies to be able to do that. But I, I thought it was a bit of a car crash, that that uh, interview today. And we know why why it, it was all set up. It was set up because of the fees, uh, the latest uh, disclosure of the fees have, have come out. And um, I've had a bit of clarity today because I've done some phoning around to find out this uh, extra £600,000 and where it's coming from. Now, where it is coming from is whatever money was going to be paid to the creditors or the main creditor, who is the people who are the people in Hong Kong, obviously they're going to get six hundred grand less. But there was a, another question that arose from this sort of explanation how young or Stanley Chow, whichever one, you know, which side you believe, you know, you care to believe it is, apparently have said that that they've walked away, they don't want anything. They've walked away. They've walked away from that. So why is it needed? Why are, are we actually sending money to Hong Kong? Why are we doing that? I don't know why we're doing it. Do you, Simon? Uh, not, not a clue, no. Adam? Yeah, well... I know Nick's got Nick's got his hand up, so obviously I'll go. But for me, that that original statement that you were saying about the writing off of the money, I mean, do we believe that as a statement? Because they are the main creditor, and you know, I can't at the time I couldn't understand why they weren't still looking for twenty five p in the pound. For I think certain parts of it were written off, but I think it's been quite consistent throughout that that some money will be paid to that main creditor. So. I don't know. I mean, I said before, it doesn't matter who it's going from. It just doesn't seem right at the moment that the fees are so high, given the circumstances. Whoever's paying for it, ultimately, it just doesn't seem doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem proportionate to what's actually being achieved at, at the moment. I, I I object every time they say this thing about all oh, the money's not coming out of the football club, and. Technically, yes, it's coming out of a property company, but who put the money into the property company? The football club. So, yeah, I mean, that one's another nonsense that they keep spouting, which, whilst technically correct, is a load of garbage. You know, it's like me saying I'm not paying my phone bill, but my missus pays it instead. You know, it's still coming out of our house, isn't it? If I can just jump in, I mean, I think going back to what Barry said about the point of the interview was about the fees, like you've just talked yeah. about. And I think... What's, what just smacks me as really strange is go on and talk about the fees and get off. 
Do you know what I mean? You don't need to go into, and I know what he's trying to say in the way he said that about the holiday. What he's trying to say is he's working every day as to, to try and be part of whatever solution it's going to be. He's working every day, but, and it's just, it's just horribly phrased. And the next bit was even more horribly phrased about um, people being uneducated. The other thing I'd say about that is, well, educate them then. Educate people into what, if you've got the time to go on the radio, spend the time to educate the people that you're, you're saying are uneducated about the process, whether that's uh, Lisa Nandu, just from me on the record, she's been great with every bit of the process, or whether it's he's going back to Simon Jordan and saying it, well, there's your opportunity to educate those people who are commenting on what you're doing. That way there's a better understanding from everybody. But that's what baffles me the most is just coming out and saying things when you could actually solve those things by having a conversation with someone, a proper conversation with someone. Yeah, I agree though, Nick. I mean, I think that's the way that's the way they should be going. But um, I've heard Paul Sandler described as a bit of a loose cannon, and he, and he seems he seems to be that way. Um, I don't know if it's it's ego driving it. He's on Twitter arguing with fans and arguing with people, or or doing these interviews. It's, it's, it's just very strange, very strange indeed. Just want to say on this. I mean. It was, it's a difficult job for the... I'm not saying it's an easy job for the administrators in the circumstances at the moment with COVID and trying to get the attract the investment. But for me, it's about professionalism. And what the, what's going on by having arguments on Twitter? You know, one administrator doing sort of probably the right thing and having a conversation with a you know very prominent and important member of the fan, fan base in Barry... I'm giving Barry a big up there. But then Paul Stanley then on the same day, if you remember a few months ago, did, does that interview, I think, with The Guardian. And it seemed to contradict what Krasden was saying. You know, for me, this, you know, this is like, this is about people's livelihoods. It's about a community. And there's no joined up approach. I mean, how, how can you have three administrators who... They seem to be just acting as separate entities to me. It doesn't seem like it's joined up in the slightest. And, I mean, how, how can you actually take any of them seriously when Begbies themselves are not actually being consistent, you know, throughout the process? And I can dig, forensically probably dig stuff out where one administrator's contradicted the other. I'll just mention um, some stuff that uh, I've been told I can mention. There are... Um, two bids on the table. Nixon's reported this as well. He, um, uh, he he's mentioned Darren Royal and a consortium, uh, and there is another one, a, a foreign one, and also the at an advanced stage talking with the administration. So hopefully there could be some news coming out this week. It's it's interesting you mentioned that Darren Royal um, because like I, I said at the beginning of this segment. There was the company house update, wasn't there, of uh, UTT 2021. Now, a lot of us were a bit questioning of it. You know, where's it come from? UTT, well, we've got up the ticks. Barry, is this what, you know, is what you've been led to believe that this is the the forefront of the Darren Royals bid? Yeah, it seems that he's um, got got some backers together and uh, putting a bid in. A bit into uh, to buy the club, whether it's going to be successful or not, no idea. Who the backers are, no idea. But I do know Darren Royal is involved with it, so it, it, it is moving forward. Also, Nixon reported that there was there's been a process put in place by the administrators, and I've been told that's true. Where they have to the bidders have to meet certain criteria and do it rather quickly, and then they can be passed on to the EFL. And they're on with that. Uh, proof of funding and uh, due diligence, agree a deposit and, a, a, and a, a, you know, a sale price. So if they're on with that and it's been done, the next stage is the EFL. So, you know, fingers crossed, we've got at least two bids going forward without exclusivity at this stage, which is another another positive. Sorry, sorry, Barry. I was just going to come into Nick because obviously working at the club, you'll have dealt with... Uh... 
Darren Royal, obviously we've had him on the podcast. He, he seems like a, a really good bloke. How important could it be having someone like Darren or Jonathan involved with a bid team? And, you know, how much of a, uh, do you think that would mean to the club? I think the the second name you mentioned is probably the most important one, um, regardless of who buys the club, because Jonathan knows the club like the back of his hand. So I think the answer to your question is is very important. Um, and I would personally say that, that having Jonathan in some capacity related to the football club and the running of the football club is probably, I mean, it'd be remiss of me to say it's, it's not the only way it works, but it's, you know, it's the best way it works personally, in my opinion, because you're talking about someone who lives and breathes not just the football side of the football club, but every little detail of the football club down to, you know, the community trusts work that they do. You know, it's, it's someone with a real knowledge and passion for the football club and for the town. And you need that type of person around. Now, people are going to come in with bids and probably won't have that, you know, as part of their, their plan, no matter who it is. They might come in and just be, well, we'll do it ourselves. I think there's such a value in having people who understand exactly what it means. Um, and if you've not got that in the back of your mind, in the forefront of your mind, really, then, you know, you're never going to quite get it right. I don't know what your thoughts are on who you'd who you'd want steering the ship, as it were, or certainly advising. But um, I'd have people like that definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with you there. And Paul, what what about yourself? Um, anybody else? You know, it's, it'd be wrong to say that only Jonathan can do it. Anybody else will be an unknown quantity. He is a very known quantity and perfect for the job. Um, you know, and, and you look at the administration, they went into administration, working to a budget, which they were working to, albeit that that budget, you know, was was set too high, um, which, you know, I think we all have to accept that now. There's absolutely no doubt they could work to the same, bud- uh, to the to a new budget that's a bit tighter and, and carry on with the same model. Because we were, you know, we were so close to breaking even um with with the academy products that it was working and and that that I just adds to the frustration um but yeah absolutely you know keep Jonathan keep Gregor keep Liam Richardson probably a few others that we can't name and I think we'd have a, a cracking football club again you just need somebody to put enough money up to stick the name over the door and and, and get going again yeah, I don't want to I don't want to say too much apart from just on on Jonathan in the fact that, you know, the work he's been doing over the last few months, um, the fact that he's got that experience in the game, Premier League Championship and League One, uh, he understands the, the regulatory framework, but more importantly, he understands Wigan and what Wigan's about. And it's interesting that, you know, he could have very easily gone, I guess, in the last changeover when IEC took over. Clearly, there was something in Jonathan that the owners at the time, obviously Darren Royal, presumably leading on that, wanted to keep on board. So I would really urge any sort of new owners to have that person who can have that link to the club, but also the fans as well, because I think throughout this, there's criticism of a lot of people, but I haven't seen any criticism of Jonathan Jackson, really. So, and if there was, it'd be uncalled for because I think he's the the kind of, a, you know, a person who, for me, is Wigan Athletic through and through. And, you know, I trust him and I'd like him to be involved in some way in the future of Wigan Athletic. Nick? You know, I just want to pick up on something Paul said then about, um, about budgets at the time and stuff. And obviously then... You know, you've got a certain budget, then you enter administration and out the other side, you're going to have to have a certain other budget, which is considerably lower. But the budget beforehand was, as long as the money was coming in, was the was the right level of budget for what we were trying to achieve. Now, obviously, we all know it's not sustainable, but 
the job that was being done behind the scenes and, and particularly off the pitch, the things that were building up in the background, for, for me, having, having gone through those processes and tried to build some of those things with some other people, that's like... That's the killer blow from from my point of view is that that structure that was there on and off the pitch, regardless of who the players are on the pitch, but that structure that was there was was the perfect structure to to build from. It, it was okay. It was it was almost perfect. But I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that to some degree. But there were there were so many people that had done a great job of getting us into this position to only go upwards. And and yeah. that's what hurts me the most is that's just fallen by the wayside. Yeah, I, you, you're absolutely right. That structure was so close as well to being self-sustaining, and and that 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 is the absolute gut punch of it. You know, all these players that for the next ten years we're going to see playing at other clubs and 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 not playing for us at all, and we've had no benefit of it really, apart from you know we're going to still exist probably. And, and, that, and that is a fair benefit, isn't Everything's it? Everyone's but... done that throughout, though, hasn't he? He's always had good football business sense, you know, even... I mean, that deal that we got with Andy Delore, that he talked about, you know, the fact that we got that add-on, you know, he's, he's, he's very experienced, he's very savvy. You know, I'm sure he was involved in the Will Griggs sale as well. Oh, we got that amount of money for Will. What's the... If you haven't seen it, it's on the Until I Die documentary. Oh, yeah. oh, we got that deal for um, for Will Greg. It was just amazing from where they actually started from. And, you know, we, we've we had them on the podcast a few times, haven't we? And the, the model that they were talking about is bringing players in who maybe hadn't quite made it first time round in the Premier League, improve them at Wigan, sell them on at a, a huge profit. I mean, if you think, but for a medical, Anthony Robinson were making eight million in six months. On a, on a signing, you know, so this is what really upsets me more than anything else is the fact that everything was on a trajectory, everything was working well. You know, we probably could have got away as well with like one or two sales a year. You know, in my view, I don't think we would have had to have sold all the players. We might have lost Kiefer Moore because, you know, maybe he would have wanted to play at Cardiff in Wales, but... You know, I think we'd have kept all the most of those players because they could see what Paul Cook was building. You know, like me and me and Thorpe saw it all the way through, didn't we, Thorpe? We knew what Paul Cook was building, didn't we, back in the dark days of December? Yeah. 20- I, I mean you Never could you could see anything. yeah, you you could see there was potential there. I I mean I, yeah. I think everybody everybody was blinded by the fact that we kept giving up late goals and dropping silly points. Yeah, we were we were all behind Cook as well, weren't we? Uh, Barry more so than anyone. Never never had a bad word to say. Uh, December, <laughs> which which must have made um, good. We we know you listen, Nick. What what was that? What was that like? Let's try and end on a bit of a humorous note now. It's uh, what what was that like listening well, I to? Always, uh, I always thought Barry was pretty level headed, but there was points during that that he just blew his top. Yeah, now, it's, he's, uh, now he's gone quiet because he don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it just proves we can't all be right all of the time. And uh, I'm so embarrassed. I was I was pro cook all the way through till about about late October, and I was never I wasn't anti cook. And it was just I thought we need, you know sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. And I spoke to Paul Cook at a at a, a fans forum, and he and he spoke to me and Adam, and he said I don't know what to do. We've tried everything. We've tried travelling to games on the day, going the night before, going on buses, going in cars, doing this and that. He said, and no matter what we do, he, he said, we just can't win away. And these late goals were killing killing him as well. And you just think sometimes, as he sort of runs of ideas with us, I always thought he was a good manager. Always thought he was a good manager. But did we need a change? Obviously, the change we needed was a, was a, the fluky goal at Birmingham City that got us up and running. That's what we needed and give the lads that belief. You know, Cedric Kipris and Ball, that did it for us and, and, and that was it. It changed, the mindset's changed. And although January wasn't that good last year, but February certainly was, weren't it? And I think that was it. So, Mr Cook, I really apologise profusely. I've, I know you've done a... A video with uh, Jay Whittle today. I hope you enjoyed it, and I, I listened to one of your messages you put out. I know you you listen to us every week, 
But uh, I really, I do apologise. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> oh, I, I just wanted you. to Sorry. say, but before we, I don't want to say that I was um, having a go at Barry and Simon because you know the fact that I, res- I always respected their opinions and I could see, I could see where they were coming from with it. It's just that maybe. I don't know. I just have those rose-tinted glasses sometimes, and I just always thought that we'd get through. But maybe that was just me being optimistic at the time and flukily optimistic at the time, and it all came. It all came right in the end. But I think we all came from the right place, and none of us on this podcast were getting personal about it. The minority, and I say the absolute minority of Wigan fans who were starting to say that Paul Cook was one of our worst ever managers. Well. They can't have been Wigan Athletic fans for a very long time. If uh, they could have only been Wigan Athletic fans for Paul Cook's reign, because the only reason Paul Cook would be our worst manager is if he was our only manager. So uh, yeah, I don't want to don't want to have a go at my uh, podcast colleagues. Nick, anything you'd like to to add before we uh, start wrapping up for today? No, I've got my answer now from Barry. I'm I'm happy now. He's such a mild mannered bloke and. Uh, on some of them episodes, I was seeing a different side to him, so I'm I'm glad he's uh, I'm glad he's told me that. I bet it made your commute up to Exton um, somewhat enjoyable. Um, listening to Barry going off on a on one. If you haven't listened to it, Nick, though, you do need to listen to Barry's excellent one. It was in September of this year because I've never seen. Talk about Paul Cook. I've never seen Barry as passionate as that one after the Paul Stanley Guardian article. That was, I think, that was one of Barry's finest ever performances. So anyone who's not watched that or listened to that, sorry, needs to go back to it and listen to it again because that is pure Latics passion. Well, I was, I was going to come in there and say, say that uh, it, it is. That's what it is. It's the love of the club, and I, I'm, I'm never embarrassed to say it that I do. I do love the club. I'll be perfectly honest, last night, I didn't sleep at all well, Tuesday night, because the Frampton news broke, and I just thought, I I didn't know whether it was going to be any good for us or not. I really didn't. But what I did think was that he was going to get over the line, and there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel, and out of administration. And when I heard it wasn't going to happen, I think I probably had about four hours sleep last night. I woke up really early this morning, and it, it does it does it to you. It's, it's it's hard work. It's hard work loving a football club because just by the nature they're gonna you know they're gonna give you bad times as well as good times. So, but yeah, that's it. That's where my heart and soul are with the club, and that's it. That's why I get passionate. Don't get passionate about much else. But I think the most Nick. upsetting the most upsetting thing about it all is it means a lot to yourself personally, but it means so much to other people that you know. And you see how it impacts those people. And, you know, for some people, it, it, it literally is the thing in their week that makes them feel better. And I think that's what irks me the most about the, the everything that's going on now, is seeing other people struggling with it. And, and yeah, I'm struggling it, with it personally. And, it, you know, it's, it's done my head in, since it all started. And, and it's been a rough time. But to see people who... I mean, I work there and I see people put more into the football club than I did as a fan and as an employee combined because because they they love the football club so much. People like yourself, Barry. So that's what that's what frustrates me. That's what makes me angry about the whole thing, mm. the impact it has on other people. I always thought, I mean, I've told this tale. Most people know that I was a firefighter and I, I've been to some horrific incidents. But that 90 minutes, two hours you know, at a football game, going to the ground, talking to strangers that you only know at that ground. I'm going back to Springfield Park here, walking round to my spot on the halfway line, like talking to people on my walk round that I used to see every other week at the game. And and that aura that I'd seen in my daily life had gone. There was no stress there, which, you know, it had gone away from me for that, that period of time. And I always thought that Wigan Athletic was like a crutch to me you know, it, it, it has been all my life. I I was one of those kids in, in in the early 60s whose parents split up and, you know, ended up being brought up by a stranger. So it, it it's always been there for me. It, it's been, it has always been there for me and it's a big, big part of my life. And 
it's it's guided me through some rough periods and that's why it means so much when I see that, you know, being so rough as well. I want to do something. I want to be involved in whichever way I can. I know I financially, well, I've given financially, but, you know, I, I can't buy it, obviously, unless they want to give, you know, let me have it for about 300 quid. But, but you know, you, you just want to be there. You want to spread the word and you want people to be all together and pull together in the same direction. And at the end of the day, you just want that club to survive and pick itself up off the floor and start moving forward again. And that's what we that's what we all want, isn't it? That's it. That's what we want to happen. Just wanted to add, like, final thing, really, before, obviously, I know that we need to go through, but what Barry said there is absolutely spot on. And the fact is that, unfortunately, some of us have been through this more than once, into not administration, but real worry about the club. I mean, I, re- I remember, really, when I was really young, they're having to go around with a bucket to pay for the wages for one of the players, Stan McEwen, one of the players. And even though I was about eight or nine at the time, I kind of worked out that there were some financial difficulties and they continued all the way through the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, the the 1990s, being in, being in school when everyone supports United City and even Bolton, who were doing well in 1995 in the Premier League and our club was getting 1,500 fans and we were bottom of the league and the football was awful and Pat Gavin was our best ever signing. I mean, it it was like, it was horrible. And then we've had 20, 23 years of fantastic years and which we'll all cherish. And I'm sure they'll come back again. You know, I, I just, I'm confident that, that we will get there in the end. And, you know, us lot, you know, here you can see that we've been talking for so long tonight passionately about it. Um, for me, that that's the important thing that, you know, we've got so many passionate fans that will still be there and, you know, hopefully we get it we get it over the line and we can all meet again at the stadium when all this horrible stuff is over. That's that's uh that's a very important thing. Um, and as we wrap it up tonight, you've got to remember that the good days will come again. You've got to take the ups and downs and obviously we're at we're a, a very low period now, but things things will get better because we are Wigan Athletic forever. Mm-hmm.